Asa Barhanu. Good evening. I am so delighted to be here with you tonight. Uh, I actually texted Mike, Pastor Mike last night and I told him I'm extremely nervous. So let me just begin by saying that I am certainly not, not worthy to be standing before you. But I'm absolutely privileged and greatly honored that God has given me this opportunity to be here to share uh, the word of God with you. So thank you, Pastor uh, JR and Pastor Mike for this uh, privilege. Uh, before we get started, can we go before the throne room of God one more time? God, we are so humbled to be in your holy presence. God, we know that you are in this place. We know because you have promised where two or three gather in your name, Jesus, that you impart the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We need you to move in each one of our lives and each one of our hearts. God, is always my prayer when I stand before your peoples. God, please let me not speak tonight. And I ask you to put a guard around my mouth that I may not say a single word that is from my own foolish and limited knowledge. But the Spirit of God, I pray that you will loosen my tongue, open my mouth, use my brain to think, and my vocal cords to speak tonight. God, please... Let me not withhold anything also out of the fear of man or a person. But God, I just pray that you freely use me tonight. God, I long to be changed by you. So if any work needs to be done, let it begin with me. And I also pray that you speak to your people. So again, Jesus, be lifted up and Holy Spirit, move freely and Father, be exalted. We love and bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When Mike and I met over lunch and he proposed this idea of me coming here to share the word of God with you. And after I accepted his invitation, I began to pray, God, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you want us to look at for this night? And, and, and for some reason, and I know it's the, the spirit putting it in my heart, you know, John 10.10 10 just continued to come into my spirit. And so for the last month or so, I've just been dwelling on this and praying on this text. And, and the Lord has been blessing me and I pray that tonight also. It would also bless you and, and give you a new insight that is going to help each and every one of us. So if you have your Bibles with me, I'm kind of old-fashioned guy. I still like, I know that this new generation, you like your gadget and that's okay. And for me, I'm still kind of, I like holding on to into this. But let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 10 and verse 10. In John chapter 10, we know that that's where Jesus talks about, I am the good shepherd. And so this is where he lets us know that he is a shepherd that cares for us and he's our leader, he's our guide. And we can say much about shepherd and I, ho hopefully maybe uh, if uh, Pastor J.R. and Mike invite me another time, we'll, we can look more into that. But for tonight, I really just want us to zoom and focus on John chapter 10, verse 10. And so the translation that I have is the new standard version, but on the screen I'll also put up the, uh, the amplified version. But I'm going to read from, uh, from my new American standard version. So it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here Jesus makes it clear that there's two things going on in this world. There's two plans that are taking place and one is the plan of God and, and the other one is the plan of the enemy. So here the Bible calls him thief and this is one of the many names of Satan. His name is thief. 
one who steals, one who robs, one who takes away a lot of different things that God has planned for our life. So we're going to, I want us to look at these three words. You know, so he says the first thing that he does is he wants to steal. And the second one that he wants to do is he wants to kill. And then he also goes on to say he wants to destroy. And there's actually, when you take a look at the original word, each one of them have some significance that we definitely need to understand. If we don't, we're going to be constantly falling in the trap of the enemy and our lives will constantly be frustrated when he tries to scheme us in many different ways that may be deceptive or even blind and, uh, blindness to us. So here the first thing that he says in the Greek word, actually this word, is stealing is really just what, what, what it means is to, com to commit a theft. It is to take away by force, to take away by theft is really what this original language is looking at. So as I was praying over this, what exactly is some of the things that the enemy wants to take away from us. And the one reason and one thing that the spirit continued to really make real into my life is the first thing that the enemy wants to steal or take away from your life and my life is, the, is joy. And so now joy, we have to just look at it beyond just the word joy. Because the Bible tells us that God himself is joy. Right? So in fact, I love the text. If you've ever read, I mean, I'm sure you have the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Right? So Ezra and Nehemiah are on the other side of what Jeremiah had prophesied. And that the people of Israel were going to, because of their disobedience, because of the rejection of God, they're going to be going, taken captive for 70 years. And they're going to be in a realm of oppression. They're going to be in a realm of darkness, in a place of hopelessness. And so here when Nehemiah and Ezra, the 70 years have come and now they're going back to Jerusalem. They're going back to Israel. And as they go there and see the state of Israel, they were discouraged and they were disheartened. And the people begin to really just be broken over what they have seen has happened to the people of, I mean, to the land of Israel. And so when you read in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, the people had gathered and, and they began to weep in the presence of God. And I love the way Ezra responds to their weeping and listen to what it says. Then Ezra said to them, go your way, eat the rich festival food, drink the sweet drink and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be worried for the joy of the Lord is our strength and your stronghold. So when we talk about then the enemy comes to steal, my friends, to take away by force. What it's saying is if he wants to take away your joy, ultimately what he's trying to do in your life and my life is to, to deprive us of strength. Right? So when we are, when, when our strength has been deprived, when our strength has been stolen, my friends, we do not have the ability to stand. And so also it does not stop there. In fact, when you read in the book of uh, Psalms chapter 16 verse 11, the Bible says that in the presence of God there's fullness of joy. You see, when the enemy steals from us the joy, not only is he taking the, not, not only is he taking the strength from us, but also it's about robbing us from the presence of God. In the presence of God, the Bible tells us now we find our strength. In the presence of God, we find our hope. In the presence of God, we walk in the light of the living God. So what the enemy wants to do then in your life and my life, friends, is to rob and to steal this joy. So that we may not walk in the victory that God has for us. That we may not operate our lives in the supernatural. Right, so, so always the enemy is coming after your, after your joy. He's coming after your peace. He's coming after your strength. He's coming from, for, for, to make you weak. He's coming to discourage you. And the way he does that, my friends, if we are not alert to his schemes is the number one, I just cannot say it enough, is by staking your joy. You see, my friends, joy is not circumstantial. 
Joy is not situational. It doesn't matter what environment I find myself in. It doesn't matter what is going on in my life. What joy tells me is in Psalm 23, for example, right? So, what, so David was in the realm of joy, in the presence of God. So he says in Psalm 23, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of the darkness of death, he says, I will fear no evil. And because he understood, because God, you are with me, the presence of God. Right? So no matter what I'm going through, then I know that my God is with me. Not only is he with me, the Bible says that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. When I am weak and cannot just stand on my own, now I have a staff that's going to help me stand. Right? So when I am blinded because of the darkness, I have a staff also to guide me through the darkness. But when you have joy, my friends, what happens is, is even though I'm walking through it, my eyes are fixed on my destiny, not on my situation. So David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. My eyes and my mind, my ears and my whole being is focused on what God has said before me. What he has said before me is a green pasture. What he has said before me is a banquet table. What he has said before me is an anointing table. In fact, he's going to anoint me in front of the very enemies that are laughing at me right now. You see, my friends, that what the enemy wants to do, when he takes your joy away from you, he's really trying to take the presence of God. So your life is filled with darkness and you are zoomed and focused in what is going on in your life instead of where God is leading you. You see, the desert sometimes is the highway that God is using to bring, to, to bring you to your destiny. See, God never wastes anything, any circumstance and situation in your life. He uses everything for your good, for his glory. Ultimately, so hear them what the enemy wants to do when he comes to st steal, as he wants to steal the joy, which in other words is the strength and also the presence of God. Do you remember Samson? Right, so Delilah day in, day in and day out, she said like, hey Samson, why don't you tell me where your strength is? And he would lie to her and lie to her and eventually, and she began to use the word, you, know, you must not love me. Right, so when he told her the truth, when he, saw, he told her the secret, do you remember that story, church? And what happened? The day that he told her the truth and, and she shaved his head. And the Bible says he got up thinking like, like he was like, any, like every other day. But he did not realize, the Bible says, the glory of God has departed from him. The glory of God, the presence of God, the joy of the Lord, what made him strength has departed from him. So when he woke up and he found himself powerless he found himself absolutely nothing just like every other person what made him strength what gave him strength is the joy of the lord what gave him power was the presence of god when that was taken away from him he could do nothing see so friends the enemy's intention for your life and my life is to steal that joy to cause us to be frustrated by circumstances of life instead of putting our eyes on the god who's able to do all things a God that was able to part the Red Sea. You know, so there's a joke once uh, of, uh, you know, I'm a Lutheran pastor, so I have uh, some Lutheran jokes. But they were saying that there, there was this pastor, there was this pastor in a Lutheran church that did not believe in the power of God. So he got up and, and theolog theologically trying to say, th thinking that he's smarter than God and, and God's abilities. He gets up in front of the church and says, you know, I don't believe that God parted the Red Sea. In fact, they didn't walk through the Red Sea. And, and he said, they, they walked across a pond. And a congregation member get, get, got up and said, hallelujah, God caused Pharaoh and his army to drown in a pond. <laughs> and that beautiful God. Our God is able to even cause our enemies to drown in the smallest thing because he is mighty, right? 
And there's another one, there's a, another lady, she, a very poor lady, and, and, and day and night, you know, she had nothing, but she would always wake up in the morning and she would go to her porch and, and praise God for all of the blessings in her life. And she lived next to an atheist. And he would just, he would get frustrated and someday he says, I'll teach her a lesson. And he goes to a grocery store and buys her a lot of groceries and, and just leaves it on her porch. And she gets up in the morning and she sees all of these bags and she begins to praise him like never before. And the atheist comes around the corner and says, uh-huh, I got you. I'm the one who bought those groceries for you. And then she lifts her, her hands to the Lord and says, God, thank you. You made the, the devil pay for it. Right, so my God, our God, you see my friends, when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we walk in the joy of the Lord, right, so he even, he will cause your enemies to bless you. But that's why the enemy wants to steal that joy from your life and my life, to frustrate the plan of God, to frustrate the will of God for your life. And so that's why it is critical when we're walking within the presence of God to always keep our eyes on the Lord and not on our circumstance. Because our God is able, but the enemy wants to steal that away from us. And I truly believe the second thing that the enemy wants to steal from us is our identity and who we are. You know, so I was amazed this week as I was researching. They were saying that about $13.9 billion was spent on plastic surgery in the U.S. Where we're saying that like, you know, God, I know you created me this way, but I just don't feel I'm good enough. You know, so like my nose is not quite the way it should be or my ears or, or whatever that it is. And but, but let me tell us, church, and there's a lot of things that the Bible says about who we are in the sight and in the presence of God. And I love some of these, and I can't go through all of the list. If we were, it would take us forever and ever, maybe even the rest of the year. Right? But listen to one of the things that he says. God says, that God says in, in the Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 15, he calls us friends. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer servants. You are my friends. And God also calls you the apple of his eyes. And, and we see this in Zechariah 2.8. And God also says that you are the crown of my creation. I absolutely love reading Psalm 8. If it's been a while since you read it, please go back and reread it. This is probably one of the nights as David was laying at night as he's watching the flock of his father Jesse. And he's looking at the stars and he's looking at the moon. And, and during that day he's looked at the sun. And then he see, he's seen the maj majestic animals and all of this stuff. And then he goes on to say, God, when I look at the, your creation... And I just marvel at it. And then I'm also fascinated how, God, you have made me at the center of your creation. God, all of these things are created for me. I am valued in front of you. I am sig significant. I am somebody, God. You've, and then when you read in Psalm 139, the Bible says that you created me in your image. I'm, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And my, I'm, I'm originally from Ethiopia. In our translation, Ethiopia has about 80 different languages. In one of the translations, it says this, you have created me handsome. And so I, I probably David was looking in front of the mirror. I don't know if they had a mirror back in those days. He's probably just perplexed. Whoa, God. Goodness, you've made me just an awesome person. I am handsome. Right. And he was just marveling because he looked at beyond perhaps what he was seeing on the, he looked at the inside. God made his spirit to dwell in me. My value is not found on how I look. My value is not found on, on, the, on what the kind of jobs that I have or the kind of house that I live in. My value is found in only in one thing and that is in the person of Jesus. God thought me worthy en enough to have his son die for me on the cross. He loved me and, and found me significant. Who am I to think my, less of myself? But again, the enemy wants us to be frustrated. The enemy wants us to be confused about our identity. The Bible calls you son. The Bible calls you a daughter. 
You are significant. When he looks at you, he delights in you. In fact, I love the way the Bible describes when you read in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And what is, who is that joy? It's not to become God. It's not to receive a crown. The joy was you, my friends. What gave Jesus the strength to endure the cross. The ultimate prize that he was going to win is you and me. And so the Bible says then that joy gave him the strength. That joy gave him the ability to continue to push forward. Every single time that he was beaten, he was seeing your face and said, I'm dying for you. You're worth it. But the enemy in the time that we live in, he wants to steal our identity. He wants us to, to, to just internalize everything to a point that we almost reject who God has created me to be. God created you uniquely, my friends. He doesn't, he wouldn't, God would not change anything about you. Nothing. When he looks at you, he, he delights in you. In fact, he can't take his eyes off of you. And the Bible says when you read in Psalm 121, he says he will not slumber or sleep. He's constantly watching you. David in Psalm 56 says this. God, have you not kept, have you not put all of my, my tears in the bottle? God is there before you. And I know I understand some of us, will, in all of the tears that we, we, we've cried, it may have hit the ground in many different things. But the Bible says God has stored it in a bottle for you. And someday, that, someday the Bible says that God will wipe every tear from your eyes. And then he also goes on to say, God, have you not kept count of every single time that I turned? Have you not kept count of it? You know, some of us have very little hair. Right? Many have fallen off mine. In fact, right now I'm just praying every morning. I say, God, you say, ask. I'm asking until, until I die, until you tell me not to stop asking. But I'm, I'm believing for a miracle. Right? Maybe it's just a, a, a thing I should not be praying for. But I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a son, so I'm just going to ask my daddy what I want. Right? If he gives it to me, praise him. If not, I'm still going to praise him. But the truth is, my friends, does he, does he not say, when a single hair from your head falls, he makes notice of it. So do you think you're significant? How many of you have counted to this day how many hairs, hairs from your head have fallen? No, seriously, how many of you? And all of us, like, you know, when I used to have hair and I used to comb it, I mean, there's many hairs that used to fall. But I never, I mean, I love myself, but I never sat there and counted how many hairs have fallen. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But your heavenly father, I mean, who's sustaining the universe, cares about you that closely to notice when a single hair falls. And right now, if you were to go and ask him, God, how many hair did I lose? God will be able to instantaneously tell you. Why? Because you are valued, my friends. So the enemy that wants to steal this identity that we have, he wants us to be frustrated. He wants us to be confused about who we are. Who are we? We are the sons and daughters of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when the enemy lies to you, then we have to stand upon the word of God. And I am a son. I am a daughter. I don't care what you say about me. He created me marvelously and, and wonderfully. And I'm not going to buy into any of the lies. I'm not going to buy into any of your false things. And the next thing then the Bible says is that he wants to kill. So here the word kill is literally to sacrifice. It is to slay. It is to, to slaughter. So what does the enemy want to kill in your life and my life? And I am absolutely persuaded, again, as I've been studying this word, what the Lord continues to minister to me is this. The enemy's number one priority in your life and my life is to kill our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He wants to kill your relationship with God. And let's go back to the Garden of Eden, what took place in Genesis chapter 3. When, 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 when he came to tempt, to tempt Adam and Eve, Satan knew exactly what's going to happen. He knew the consequences in the 21st century. 
the wars, the, the famine, the, you know, so the, the, the cancers and AIDS and divorces and broken, brokenness in our homes and many different things. He absolutely knew because he first fell from heaven. He fell from that glory that he, from that marvelous experience that he had with God. He fell like a lightning, so he knew the consequences. So when he came to tempt Adam and Eve, he, he was not looking for their welfare. But he was looking for the calamity. He wanted to take them out of the purpose and the will of God. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve fell into that. And the consequence of that, you and I are suffering to this day. So his biggest, his biggest temptation, his biggest way that he wants to kill in your life to frustrate you in many different ways, either in the 21st century, I honestly believe that his biggest tactic is by making us busy. So busy that we don't have time to pray. So busy that, that, that church becomes inconvenient. So busy that everything else in our lives takes precedence over coming into the presence of God and spending time with Him. In fact, the pastor once he was preaching, he used the acronym name for busy. He said, being under Satan's yoke. So the main purpose that he wants to do then in our lives is to take us outside of the will of God. Because he knows the more, that we, the more time that we spend in the Father's presence, he knows that the more time that we spend in the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit, that's when we're going to be stronger and stronger. Because if we continue to feed our spirit, we will continue to be enlightened by the things of God, be empowered to live the powerful gospel message. And the only way we can do that is by spending time in the Father's presence. He's the only one that's going to be able to encourage us. He's the only one that's going to continue to renew our strength and our identity and continuously remind us that we are worth it. So the enemy that my friends wants to break that relationship. He wants, he constantly tempts us with different things. Because he knows that in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 the Bible says the wage of sin is death. Death is not just the physical death, right. It's talking about the spiritual separation. Up until Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they had perfect fellowship, perfect union with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the minute that sin entered, the minute that they died, and God walking through the, through the cool of the day on that moment, and he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. But that's the kind of relationship that the Father had with them. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And Adam said, hey, God... And I saw that I was naked and I heard you coming and, and, and I, I was filled with shame, I'm filled with guilt. And therefore here I hid behind a bush and, and God says, Adam, what have you done? See, that's exactly what sin brings in our lives, isn't it? It brings that shame that, that causes us to run away from the Father. And after he, after he tempts us and we fall into that temptation and then he bombards us with condemnation. He bombards us with guilt to a point where we feel unworthy to stand before the Father. So we just want to run and hide. And so that's exactly his intention. He wants us to run and hide from our Father and from the gift of what God has for your life and my life. And the last point, my friends, here it says, is he comes to destroy. And here the word destroy again in the original literally just means to put out of the way entirely, to abolish. It's to render useless, to declare that one must be put to death and the list goes on. So ultimately then, he's not, he does not just want to break our relationship with God. But his ultimate goal, my friends, is this. The ultimate desire, the ultimate purpose of Satan in your life and my life is to see us spend eternity in hell. So when he says he comes to destroy then, that's really his ultimate purpose. So let's take example of the two people, right. So we have Peter and Judas. 
And Peter has heard Jesus repeatedly speak. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So he knew that. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? So he knew exactly that, my goodness, that is it for me. But Peter wept immediately, right? And he repented of his sin because he understood the love of God. He understood we serve a merciful God, a, a, a gracious God. And then here Judas had a different, I mean the same thing. He also betrayed God. But instead of realizing that he serves, he serves a gracious God, a merciful God, Judas internalized his own sin. The enemy bombarded him with such shame, shame with such guilt, with such embarrassment that Judas ended up doing what? See, my friends, and that's exactly the intention of Satan. When we don't realize, when we don't understand who we are and that we serve a loving God, we serve a gracious Father. And ultimately his purpose is like Judas. He wants to entirely separate us from the love of God so that we are taken from the presence of the living God. But I thank God Jesus did not stop there, did he? The thief comes to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have, hallelujah. But I have come to give you life and life abundant. And here tonight, I mean, I hope that it blesses you the way the Spirit of God has been blessing me. Here life, my friends, is not talking about material stuff. It's not talking about the fleeting, the temporal stuff. Here what God has promised, what Jesus, when he said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance, what Jesus is saying is, I have come to give you myself. And Jesus, my friends, are enough. Jesus is enough. He says, I've come to pour myself entirely, not only on the cross. And after I go to the Father's place, I've come to depart and impart the Holy Spirit in your life. And so I want to mention four things about Jesus tonight. Four things. And we find this in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we read this during Christmas time. I right? said, so the virgin shall be with child and she shall give birth to a son. And then he goes on to say in verse 6 and talks about four things and four names of Jesus. And this is what it says. Wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. Now let's take a look at each one of this. He's what? The first thing he says is what? He is wonderful counselor. And here the word counselor is to give advice. It is to be a consultant. It is to give counsel. It is uh, to give purpose and to give a plan. So here Jesus says, I have come to be your personal counselor. And as I was thinking about this and, 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 and the Spirit of God continues to remind me, Jesus has come to be your personal GPS. You know, so the, the, this year I've been, you know, so God has been opening up doors for me to, you know, to travel and speak at youth conferences and in other places. And I was invited to Philadelphia and instead of bringing somebody to pick me up, they actually said like, hey, we've rented you a car and, and why don't you just get in your car, rental car and, and get to your destination. I've never been to Philadelphia, so I needed to get a GPS because I have absolutely no idea where, where I would go and, and map is all done away with. So I just put it in my GPS and I was not concerned at all. And I knew that that GPS was going to get me to my destiny. And so here, my friends, what the Bible is saying is when, and so Jesus said, I have come to be your personal counsel. I have come to be your personal GPS. You see, the truth is, when you read, for example, in John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible says, in this world, you'll face trials. In this world, you'll have tribulations. In this world, you'll have, you'll have struggles. But take courage. I have overcome the world. 
See, when, we, when you and I then encounter those setbacks, when you and I encounter those difficulties, Jesus says, I am your personal GPS. I am your personal guide. And, and I, will not, I will not lead you to ultimately for your destruction. My plan for you is for your welfare. My plan for you is to give you a hope and a future. And so here then when he says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. He's saying that I'm poor. I'm going to pour myself entirely into your life. And I'm going to guide you through every steps of your life. You're never abandoned. You're never alone. No matter what you're going through, I am your God. I am your savior. I'm going to stick by your side. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm, ne I'm never going to let you be by yourself. Right? So I love the way God puts it. When you read in the book of uh, uh, Psalms chapter 25 verse 12, it says, who is the man, who is the woman that fears the Lord? And then it goes on to tell, I'll show them in the way that they should go. I'll counsel them. See here God again is telling us, he's going to counsel us through the messiness, the messiness of life. Right, so he will never leave us alone. And then in fact, one of the last things that Jesus said, according to the gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you until the end of time. When Joshua took on the baton after Moses died, God comes to Joshua and says, hey Joshua, do not be afraid. I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. I'll never fail you. I'll never disappoint you. I will be with you. I'll be your God. So the same promise applies to you and I, my friends. No matter what is going on in our lives, Jesus says that I am for you, whatever you need to be. But I am your personal guide. I'm your personal Lord that I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I will not disappoint you. And then he goes on to say the second name of Jesus is what? Mighty God. Mighty God. Right? So no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation you're facing. And so some of us at times, we will stand before Goliath. Maybe you've stood before Goliath. And maybe you're standing before Goliath right now and you're five foot seven and he's over nine feet and well trained. And you're looking at him and say, my goodness, how am I going to overcome this? And Jesus says, I am mighty God. I am bigger than anything that you, you will ever face. I'm bigger than what you're facing right now. And I'll see you through it. In fact, I love the way the Bible tells us when you read in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. It says, greater is he who is with us than those who are against us. And I also love when you read in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 18. This is what the Bible says. If you don't know that story, this is the king of Armians was so frustrated with Elisha. Because God continued to reveal the secret of the king of Armians to Elisha. And so finally one night he sends his armies of chariots and foot soldiers to surround where Elisha was. To capture this one man. And so in the morning when the servant of Elisha wakes up and listen to what it says. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 18. The servant of the man of God got up early and went out. And behold, there was an army with horses and chariots encircling the city. Elisha's servant said to him, oh no, my master, what are we to do? Elisha answered, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. When the Arameans came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people, nation with blindness. And God struck them with blindness in accordance with Elisha's request. Hallelujah. So do you hear a church? 
Greater are they who are with us. See, our God is able to blind our enemy's eyes. So when those who come to harm us have no chance. Because our God is mightier. And I love the way Deuteronomy 28 says. When you walk in obedience, when you walk in the presence of God, your enemies will come in one direction. But when they see the consuming fire that goes before you, when they see the consuming fire that has encircled you, they will flee in seven directions and panic. Why? Because our, our God is greater. In Romans chapter 8 it says we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Why? Again, our God is greater. And again in, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, if you remember, the apostle Paul being in prison. And he says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My strength is not found in my situation. My strength is not found in myself. My strength is found in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is mightier. Jesus is more powerful than anything that I'll ever face. He is awesome in all of his ways. And so here Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. How? To make him so, his mighty power to operate in your life so that defeat is not part of the equation of a godly man or godly woman. Trouble, yes, will come, but defeat is never part of your equation. And so that's why when you read, for example, in the book of Isaiah chapter 43, in verse 1, God says, hey, Israel, I know you by name and I have redeemed you. You're mine. You're mine, God says. And then when you read in verse 2, it says, when you go through the waters... And you're getting a little deeper and deeper and you feel like you're, gonna, you're about to drown. God says, guess again, you're not going to drown because I have you by my righteous right hand. He says, there's going to be days when you feel like you're going to be walking through the flood. Just coming full force at you and you're like saying, my goodness, I'm not going to be able to withstand this. This is just going to wash me away and I'm just going to dash my head on those rocks. And God says, guess again, I am mightier than that river. And even that, you're not going to be swept away because I am bigger and stronger than that current that is coming at you. And then God goes on to say, when you walk through the fires... And you feel like you're going to be consumed. Even then you're not going to be consumed. Why? Because I am bigger than the fire that you're standing in. And we see this in Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. See, they trusted God's ability. They trusted God's power. And they says, throw us in that furnace. We know that our God is able to save us from this furnace. Heat it as long as much as you want to. Seven times is not enough. Even 77 times seven. Heat it however you want to. Our God is greater than the fire that we're facing. You see, my friends, when we serve Jesus, when he says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance, that's what it means. I am your mighty God. There's no fire. There's no river. There's no water. There's no circumstance. There's no circumstance. There's no circumstance that is able to overcome or defeat you because I am your mighty God. And so he said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, that's why we have to know who we are. We have to know identity. You know, so a preacher once said, when Satan reminds you of your past, just continue to remind him of his future and keep marching to your destiny. Your destiny, my friends. So Jesus says, I am your mighty God. And the third point that, and he says, I am, is everlasting Father, perfect Father, my friends. And I love the way here, uh, the, the everlasting in the Hebrew, ancient, it means of past time, it means forever, a future time, and also now. See, unfortunately, a lot of us, we believe in the historical Jesus. We believe in the Jesus that performed miracles in the first century. And most of us, we also believe in the common king. But unfortunately, we don't believe in the Jesus of the now. The Jesus that was able to turn the 
water into wine, the Jesus that was able to cause Lazarus to come out of the tomb, the Jesus that caused the lame to walk and the deaf to hear, the blind to see. You see, in that, you know, we say like, yes, those things happen in those days, but today God cannot be doing that. He says, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and, and he will be forevermore. Things will change, but Jesus never changes. So he says, I am your everlasting father. I'll not, you know, I'll, I'll see you through everything. I'll be your provider. I'll be, I'll be the good God, and I'll, I will not let you down. So here, my friends, when he says that I've come to give you life and life in abundance again, is to be your everlasting father, to remind you that he's the God of the now as well. That he's able, he's able today as he did for what he did for Moses, he will do for you. What he did for David, he will do for you. So God wants you to know that he is operating in the 21st century just as he operated when he parted the Red Sea. His power has not changed. His power has not diminished. God is still the same. He is the Alpha and the Omega, which the Greek word literally means. The Alpha is the first letter in the Greek word, the beginning. And the Omega is the last word in the Greek, the last alphabet in the Greek word, so which, meaning the end. So he is ancient of all days. He's impenetrable rock. Your father is almighty. My friend, so here he says, I am your everlasting father. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I am right here with you. So he reminds us that, you see, some of us may have, our fathers may have disappointed us. Our fathers may have let us down. But our heavenly, perfect heavenly father will not, will not disappoint you. He steps in that place and he reminds you how much he loves you. So in fact, when you go back and reread that Isaiah 43 that I just mentioned earlier, if you read verse 4 and 5, he says, I love you and you are precious in my sight. Your father tells you that you are precious in his sight and he loves you. So my friends, that we serve this kind of God that wants to be your father. And the last thing that he says here, what I want to finish with tonight is this, my friends. He says that he is the prince of peace. You see, our English word is so inadequate here. And peace does not do justice. The word shalom is not, peace is just one small aspect of shalom. When it says, I am the prince of peace, look at what it says. And if, if they put it on, look at all of this list is literally shalom. Just peace is just one meaning of it. So when God says that I have come to give you peace, I have come to give you shalom, it literally means I have come to completeness, wholeness, peace, health, wellness, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony. The absence of agitation or discord, a state of calm without anxiety or stress. That's literally what the word shalom means. So when Jesus says that I've come to give you peace, I've come to give you shalom, this is all the list that he said I've come to give you. And I've come to be your all in all. Every aspect of your life. I've come to bless you beyond your imagination. I've come to make you complete. I've come to make you whole. I've come to bless your health. Your wealth, every aspect of it, God wants to pour his life entirely to you. And so that's why when Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, I've come, I said, my peace I leave with you, and the peace that I leave with you is not like of the world. In other words, what he's saying is, it's not circumstantial, it's not situational. You see, the peace that the world gives you is based on what is going on in your life at that time. Right? The world cannot offer you peace in the midst of turmoil. The world cannot offer you peace when you're going through the desert. It is only when you are on top of the mountain. That's when you have peace. When you come down to the valley, that peace is taken away and stress fills your life. And so here Jesus says, I have come to give you what? I have come to give you peace. In other words, your life shall not be filled with agitations. Your life shall not be filled with stress. Why? Because when you read, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and the Bible says, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. The stress is not for your life, my friends. 
When stress wants to come and take a hold of your life, you say, Jesus, why don't you go answer that door because I don't have time for that. Because you bore that on the cross and you tell me to cast all of my cares upon you. And so God, I'm not going to stress over this because I can't change it anyway, but you can change that situation. And so God's peace that my friends is this. And so when he says, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and that's what he means, I've come to give you myself. So that you may have my perfect joy, you may have my perfect peace in your life, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your situation is. I've come to give you peace. And I love the way uh, Philippians 4, 7 says it. The peace of God that surpasses all human understanding, all human comprehension, has the power to guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, my friends. That surpasses all human comprehension. So part of also then what the enemy wants to do in your life and my life is to steal that peace. Because he knows the peace of God has the power no matter what I'm going through. So tonight, my friends, I don't know where you are in. And, and I think Pastor Mike said that we may have until 8.30. But can we just be in the spirit of prayer just for the next few minutes. And I honestly believe, and I don't know if you're sensing, I'm sensing last night, you know, at, at our church, we, you know, so we just spent like an hour and a half and just in the presence of God and just in worship. And, and I felt, we felt the presence of God. It's just, it's been so long since I felt that kind of presence. And even yesterday as I was preparing and praying over, over this evening, I just had this sense of the Spirit of God saying like, you know, I want to do something in my people's life. Because my people have not come to really understand the life that I have for them. They're being distracted by many things. They're settling for cheap stuff than what I have, what I want to give them. If you are in this place tonight, my friends, feeling perhaps defeated, you're feeling depleted, you're feeling empty, you're just running like a chicken with his head cut off. You're just, life is filled with a lot of stress and, and sorrow. That is exactly the plan of the enemy. That's not what God has for you. If you're in this place and you've just... And you just say, yeah, I want that peace that God promised. I want experience that power that you just talked about. I want God, I want Jesus to fill me afresh tonight. If that is you, can you just stand where you are? And God wants to release that peace over your life. He wants to release that life into you today. God, we thank you tonight, Jesus. Don't let this moment and pass you by. Don't let the enemy any longer to... To rob you of the joy that God has for you, my friends. It's been enough. We need to tell the enemy, no longer are you going to steal my joy. No longer are you going to lie to me about my identity. No longer are you going to break my relationship with God. God, we bless you tonight. God, we bless you tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you, Lord. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you. You don't just speak. God, we thank you. For you have come to set us free. We thank you for where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. God, we thank you for you have come. To pour yourself out entirely. God, you're not a partial God. You are a God who completely pours himself out to us. God, we bless you.
We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Can you just tell them I love you, Jesus? Just tell them that you love them. Let's not worry about who's standing next to us. This is just between you and God tonight. God, I love you, Jesus. Your name is above every other name. God, we love you tonight, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God, thank you for coming to restore our joy. Thank you for, you have come to, hallelujah. The Lord continues to bring in my spirit the years that the lotus have eaten, I'll restore. I don't know who's in this place that the many years have been wasted. You feel like it's a waste, but God is saying that I've come to restore the years that the lotus have eaten. God, thank you. For you don't waste anything, God. God, you've come to heal tonight. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. When we sing this song, uh, there's power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's declare tonight there's power in his name. There's power in his name, church. Something is new. Thank you, Jesus. There's power in your name. We bless you, Lord. We love you tonight, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We declare it tonight, Jesus. We declare it tonight, Jesus. Yes, God.
God, in the name of Jesus, we declare, I declare, God, your every chain, God, has been broken. God, everything that the enemy has stolen. And God, I know that you're going to restore it back to your children. So, Father, every person that has stood up to declare, God, no longer are they going to allow the enemy to steal their joy. No longer are they going to allow the enemy to lie to them about their identity. No longer their relationship with you is going to be, God, broken. So, Father, I just pray right now. Right now, God, I pray that your fire will go through each one of your servants. And God, I pray that they will experience you in a new and fresh way in their lives. Lord, I pray that none of us will walk out of this building. None of us will leave your presence the same people. But God, I pray that we will walk out of here. We will walk out of this place. And God, knowing we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, knowing that we have been made new. And God, that knowing that we are victorious and that no weapons formed against us will prevail. And God, every tongue that rises against us, we will silence in the name of Jesus. Jesus, no longer will we buy into the lies of the enemy. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the new anointing. I pray for the fresh outpouring of your spirit upon every single person that is in this room right now. And, Father God, I pray that as, as, it, as your word declares and promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and God, where you say that I'll move you from a degree of glory to the next. And so, God, I pray that this will be a new season. I pray that this will be a new chapter. This will be a new, God, a new beginning in their lives, God, where they will walk in the bold and the confidence and knowing that they are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Father in Jesus name I pray for I pray for fresh anointing. I pray for fresh joy. I pray God for the peace of God that surpasses for your shalom God to over, overwhelm them in the name of Jesus. Satan I cancel every assignment that you have against every single person in this room. In Jesus name I cancel it. Every weapon that has been formed in Jesus name I cancel it. I'm not asking you but by the authority 
authority given to me. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I cancel it. Depart in Jesus' name. You no longer have any access to their joy. You no longer have any access to their peace. You no longer have any access to their life. In Jesus' name, your work has been, has been cut off. Your thoughts against them is frustrated. Your eyes against them is blinded. Your ears against them is deafened. In the name of Jesus, flee, for them, flee from their homes. Flee from their finances. Flee from their marriages. Flee from their workplace. Flee from their business. Everything that God has promised them. In the name of Jesus, flee. And God, we bless your name. You are mightier. You are awesome in all of your ways. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And God, I just pray now that you would just pour the abundant life. That is pour yourself in each and every one of our lives. That we may walk in boldness and we may walk in victory. And God, no matter what season we find ourselves in, please help us to keep our eyes on our destiny. And not be frustrated by the temporal stuff that we're going through, God. Let us know, God, please remind us of your love. Remind us of who you are. That we may not be discouraged. We may not be depleted. But God, continue to renew our strength. Continue to renew our strength. Father, as, as it says in Isaiah, those who trust in the Lord, they'll walk and not be weary. They'll mount on wings like an eagle, eagle and their strength will be renewed. God, remind us that you have tattooed our pictures in the palm of your hands. And our, our, our needs and every aspect of our lives are in the palms of your hands. And God, we surrender to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, can we give God the glory? Hallelujah.